found your way home. This is the Enigma Hours with Captain Tiki Miola Phillips and Captain Dave. Reporting for duty. Yep, munching on some Doritos. Nacho cheese. Is that the hot nacho cheese? That's the Inferno one, right? No, just straight nacho cheese? Well, don't expect much from Dave right now. He's, He's grubbing. No, you no, can keep uh, eating them. It's okay. I'm ready for uh, explore another one of life's little mysteries. Yeah, tonight we're definitely gonna be doing that. Oh, we got a guest tonight. I can see him. He's looking very pensive. Yeah, he waved. Hey, before we get to anything else, you know, Halloween's coming up. That's yeah, my favorite time of year. It's my favorite holiday. Yeah. I'm going to be frank with you. It's it's my favorite holiday. Well, it's um, it sure competes for Christmas. Oh no, it beats Christmas straight up. Well, you know, there's only two times a year, unless unless you're a uh, stalker, that you <laughs> that you would go around and look at people's houses. That's true. Christmas and Halloween. That's but true. But you know what I've been trying to do on the radio? And during Christmas, they just continuous Christmas carols. Just continuous, right? Well, KAD, I've been doing the uh, uh, Halloween uh, uh, Horror Hop Countdown. Oh, right. Playing all uh, late 50s uh, novelty 
R&B and Rockabilly, Wolfman, Vampira, Spooky Movies, Please Don't Eat Me, Mr. Weirwell. It's just great stuff. It is. Well, we should add that, you know, I think it's this weekend, right? The All Hollows Fair over in Angel's Camp. Yes, it is. Yeah, definitely, definitely go out there and see that. It's it's fun. It, I've gone the last couple of years. It's it's a lot of fun. See the uh, fire breathing dragon. Yes, they have a fire breathing dragon, and you might even see me. I might be there. No, I'll I'll probably be there. You'll well, probably I, be there. Yeah, I always go. Oh, I should mention we're on K K A D L P one hundred three point five FM Sonora. We kind of need to do that to make the FCC overlords happy. FCC, we love you. Well, last year I opted for the haunted hallway at the United Methodist Church. The haunted hallway. Tell me more. Just not suitable for younger children, but the tweens, they love it. I used to go to a thing called uh, Pirates of Emerson. You know, I just impressive. Just the local little school carnivals. Oh, yeah. That have the cakewalks. When I was a kid, my school, we had Carnoween. 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 That's exactly what I'm talking about. Carnoween, and we we would do the cakewalk. That's right. And I always want a cake. That's great. Because I'm, you know, I'm six foot three. I mean, even when I was a little kid, I was a big kid. Oh, you could just reach across and, and knock it out. Yeah, I'd be like, get out of my way. I'm getting a free cake. I can't do that anymore, though. No, I would uh, walk around and play the games, and my mom would do the cake walk. I always come home with a couple cakes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's just an Good American t- tradition. Good times, man. Carnoween. Carnoween. I love that. What a name. terrible name. Yeah. Carnoween. Yeah. Carno. <laughs> Carno. Did they have hot dogs? Yeah, they did. The hot dogs, popcorn. Popcorn balls, popcorn balls with candy corn in them. You know, I was having a debate about candy corn. Really? Yeah, somebody very important to me doesn't like candy corn and thinks it's absolutely disgusting. I think it's the best thing ever. Mm. Have you tried that that uh, dehydrated candy corn? I'm, uh, I've eaten candy corn. But... No, no, the dehydrated stuff. No, I'm... They, they sell it over at the candy shop over on... On a Washington. Is it like sour gummy or something? No, it's it's candy corn, but it's dehydrated. It like explodes. It's like three times or four times the size it normally is. No, it's crunchy, crunchy, crunchy. All right. Well, seeing as how this is Halloween. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. (laughs) Thanks for all your support. (laughs) That's why you're the co-host. We're close together on a on a road to nowhere. Do I need to play the Talking Heads now? No, I just I've been spending all my time decorating up a room uh, with no decorating skills. I used to make museum displays, and that's what it's going to end up looking like. That's what it's <laughs> looking like right now. But it looks uh, well. We're to all I have the alchemist. Oh, really? Uh, area with the books and the nice. skull and the. <laughs> You're gonna hold the skull up. It looks like, like it looks like a cabin of curiosities. That's what you were shooting for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe I succeeded. Oh, I'm sure you did. Well, so since it's Halloween season, 
uh, and we don't actually broadcast on Halloween night. If we did, I have this great. This little, is your Halloween. This Friday. is my Halloween show. Our Halloween show. I just I thought you know we need to get a Halloween kind of guy on. All right. So tonight, <clears throat> assuming that the board is set up correctly and I can get him in here, uh, we are going to have Alan Greenfield, the author of the Complete Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts, and the co-author of. Oh, now it's now I'm blanking on it. Secrets of the, the Black Lodge. Secrets of the Black Lodge. The real. Secrets. Oh, I'm sorry. Secrets of the Real Black Lodge right. Revealed. He's going to get on me for messing that name up. Well, yes, like it's a tour about, de force. Yeah, I'd like to know more about that. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's a pit. <laughs> you will cross the great abyss. I don't know. I might be ready to... Uh, well, you've been reading it. Yeah, but I, I can't comment and I only got like one third of the way through it so That's okay. Far. You're an expert now. Yeah, I'm an expert now. But I would like to know. Uh, no, I don't bring that much to the table. If you want to know the truth, yes, you do. Stop it. Uh, so, so I went to, to yeshiva for a couple of years. That count? I learned Kabbalah there. Well, he can talk Kabbalah to you. All right. So, so Alan Greenfield, a master occultist, a Fortean super brain. He is just the super Fortean. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's been at this for for 60-some-odd years. You know, he started out in ufology. He's dancing. He, uh, he started in ufology and, and kind of got into uh, magic and, and the occult and witchcraft and all that other stuff. So I guess he will... Perfect for Halloween. Perfect for Halloween. Let's I'm see if it works. Hold on. Here we go. Okay, as they say in Jurassic Park, hold on to your butts. <laughs> yeah. Alan, can you hear me? Uh-oh. Alan, speak. Is he speaking? No, I don't think he's speaking. Oh. He's just staring at me. Well, he can't hear you. Tell him to turn on his... Uh... Alan? It worked last time you tried it. Oh, I know. Oh, here, we got something. Can you hear me, Alan? Alan, I think you're muted. I can hear you, sort of. I can't hear you. You can hear me? Technical difficulties. I'm reading the text. You're reading the text. I can't hear a fucking word you said. Oh, oh, I didn't say that. You didn't say that? Well, no, that's okay. Nobody can hear you anyway. Can you, <laughs> can you hear me now? I don't so, think you're... Can you uh, hear us now? See, that's the problem with trying to get transmission from another dimension. I know. When you're trying to tune in another dimension, it just... It always goes wonky. As they say in England, it's all gone piton. Alan? We had better luck with the spirit box. <laughs> <laughs> that spirit box went nuts. Every time we've used it, it's gone crazy. I can hear you. Raise your hand. You're soft, though. I don't think your headphones are working. I don't think your headset's working, Alan. 
This is the fun of radio, live radio. <laughs> yeah, this live program has been edited for content. <laughs> edited massively. Yeah, I, I don't think his headphones are working. Well, let's just start talking. Hope he joins in, I guess. I'm going to sign out and then sign back in. Oh, I can hear you better now, but you, you can't hear us, huh? Yeah, you can't but hear I, us. I, uh, this is my new, really expensive headset that was given to me by the host of another program who couldn't stand my tinny voice before. No, no reflection on John Tinny. Okay. But uh, let me see if that does something. All right. Okay. I can also test my mic. Yeah, test uh, your microphone. Sound. All right, so we're doing sound check right now. Oh, he's disconnected. All right. All right. So uh, you're the co-author of this uh, Real Secrets of the Black Lodge. What spurred you guys to uh, give, give us like a little synopsis? and? Uh, yeah, you interview me for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so what's this book about? Well, it's, it's about a very nefarious secret group in magic. So, you know, <clears throat> magic with a K, right? Right. And so commonly there's this, this notion of like the um, illuminated masters. Right. All right. You might call them secret chiefs. The secret chiefs. That's right. right. Or the great Mahatmas, or you know, they're, they're called a bunch of different right. names. So obviously, where wherever there is good, there is evil, because you have to have that balance. Yin and yang. Yin and two, yang. two sides to every coin. Right. So the the Black Lodge is the counter. All right. Is the counter to the the secret chiefs. I don't. I refer to them as the secret chiefs. I don't know. Um, I've never figured out. Maybe Alan, when we can get him on here. So that's the dark side. It's the yeah. They're they're kind of like the Sith. Yeah. But, it's like the Sith versus the Jedi. Right, and and they entice you uh, with cookies, right? <laughs> Power, money, <laughs> sex, whatever, you know. And and basically, their their objective is to suppress and to hold humanity back, so that. The notion of the illuminated masters, they want you to proceed. They want you to become enlightened. They want you to cross the great abyss. Right. We, we, uh, yeah, there's some that sit and we would be able to go. Correct. But sit and wait for everyone to catch up so we can all join hands and go together. Exactly. Oh, I'm getting a phone call. Oh, that sounds pretty loud to me. Yeah. Hello? Hello. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. Can you hear us? Well, here. Oh, I, I'm hearing feedback though. Ah! Oh, that I can't help you with. And oh, music. I yeah. hear a secret music. Have Maybe, I died? Yes. The other plus. So we we play uh, we play tiki music in the background. Here, I'll turn it down. Oh. It's okay. a it's a tiki kind of show. All right, so we got Alan here. So you we were guys, just talking about the Black Lodge. Is that yes. what we were talking about? So right. You so, can jump in. Yeah. So, so I guess um, maybe a great place to start, Alan, is why don't you explain to everybody what the Black Lodge is, and and you can kind of fill in where I left gaps. Uh, well, I wasn't reading the text. I was trying to find why you weren't hearing me, and I did because. <laughs> okay. 
I defeat the Black Lodge every time I'm on the air anywhere because there always seem to be problems. Isn't that strange? Okay. Yeah, lots and lots the briefest of problems. Form, <laughs> well, the, the briefest version I can give is first you have to describe the secret chiefs of the Third Order. And the best I have been able to come up with there is to say that there are uh, people who reach a point at which they no longer need to be corporeal and they choose to, rather than enter into the positive absolute, to use Charles Ford's term, uh, they choose to remain in a kind of disembodied state to help all sentient beings. That would be thee and me and, you know, turtles and frogs and the rest of the pack here and everywhere else in the omniverse. Uh, and uh, they have really neat terms for that in uh, Buddhism and uh, Hinduism, but we don't have any concise terms in English. If you know the uh, the Buddhist term bodhisattva, oh, yeah. that's uh, someone who has, yes, they have attained, but they choose to remain in a kind of interim, I think the kind fashionable word is liminal state until all sentient beings have ascended to their level. Now, these are the good guys. They're variously called the uh, Great White Brotherhood, which is somewhat archaic term now because it sounds too much like the Ku Klux Klan, which <laughs> they're not. And uh, uh, the secret chiefs of the Third Order, or just the secret chiefs, uh, the theosophical groups call them the masters, or uh, which really doesn't carry the connotation because masters are, you know, supposed to be running things, and that's not what they do. They they have the equivalent of, um, uh, well, Gene Roddenberry must have known a bit of this stuff because that the prime directive in in Star Trek was not to interfere with the development of developing worlds. And uh, while I think that that may be a somewhat <laughs> naive notion, nevertheless, uh, they don't interfere anymore in individual lives or collectively with societies than they have to in order to, uh, to move move the, uh, the dial and move you in their, their direction. Now, having said that, uh, as in the theory and martial arts, for every move, there's a counter move, which, uh, as far as I've ever been able to ascertain, is quite true. There are those very advanced beings, and I like to underline that, who have reached a certain point that rather than attain, that is to be at one with infinity, or uh, to help those uh, who have not quite evolved to their level, they have uh, been, Star Wars reference here, they have been seduced by the dark side of the Force. And that, those beings are, ipso facto, the Black Lodge. Now, having said that, there are corporeal human beings 
who are in league with the Black Lodge. Uh, sometimes they're referred to as the Black Brethren. Uh, uh, we discuss in the book the three schools, which really are uh, schools of uh, intent to become part of the Black Lodge. I don't think the actual Black Lodge is corporeal at all, but they do hire people. Uh, they exist sort of outside of uh, space-time. Ergo, uh, since they can do things like predict commodities and stocks and so forth, they have great material wealth. They may have accumulated some of that when they were still material beings. And they don't hesitate to hire thugs, mercenaries, uh, uh, mafiosi types, people who are willing to work for them. Uh, Richard Shaver was really the first person to call my attention to uh, to that strange interrelationship with what he would have called surface people and the Black Lodge. But uh, they, they are very powerful, but they do have certain limitations on physically what they can do. So they... They hire uh, lowlifes, and the lowlifes all over the world do their work for them in exchange for uh, money, material, uh, pleasures, whatever. Uh, the temptations of Mephistopheles, I guess you would call it. I don't think they're devils. They would like to think they are, but they're, uh, they're definitely evil. Does that concisely explain it, Oswami? I co-wrote the book, so I'm asking you. Okay, well, well it, it's kind of my understanding well, that, um, uh, you know, it, I, I, I go forward in personal development within myself, trying right. to attain what they call Adam Kadmon, the new Adam, and it's based on the Tree of Life Kabbalah. But in my journey... I try to elevate everything. It's like reparations. It's repairing right. the kilia put, the, bro the broken shells. And, uh, and it depends on how you use things. So You so can use the same principles on both sides, I guess. Right. So, so what the Black Lodge is going to do. Absolutely. So what the Black Lodge is going to do is as you try to go through that development, Right, and try to bring yourself forth to a higher plane spiritually and, and physically, the Black Lodge will dispatch their minions who are adepts, and they're just as powerful as, as any. In fact, many times they were adepts in other mystery schools and magical schools who have gone to the dark side, so to speak. They will bring them in to, to harass you and to stop that process but uh, I was a little confused about the non-interference uh, 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 thing oh for the secret chief well they will they will teach you uh, through synchronicities but it's sort of roundabout and you always have the right just to say I'm not following the synchronicities I'm choosing not to well it's, uh, it's yeah, like but it, if you follow them, they lead uh, to use the Etzheim, uh, the Tree of Life, uh, 
um, you can ascend one level at a time if you follow the synchronicities because they invariably uh, lead up the ladder as Olaf can bear witness on that. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know if this is a secret that I'm exposing, but he actually communicates with the secret chiefs using the secret cipher, the Euphonauts, which, of yep. course, as of the book, uh, is not secret, <laughs> but <laughs> no. uh, it's still a cipher. So it's and, like the coincidence uh, the control mechanism. office. Yes, it's like the coincidence control office. Okay. I'll, I'll give you a good example. So there's a great show. Is that a Philip K. Dick reference? Uh, <laughs> We did a whole show. It's a John Lilly reference. So, so. Even better. So, yeah. So, anyway, um, there's a great TV show. There are two seasons so far, right? And hopefully there will be another one. But it's a show called Hellier. And you can, you can get it on YouTube or Amazon Prime or whatever. In that show, they experience a synchronicity with a balloon, Right. After and and it's my belief that the Hellier show is a is a magical working. It's a magical process. Watching it, if you're open to that. After I watched that show, right, I started to get synchronicities and communications with balloons, just like in the show, because apparently they felt that I I kind of got it, like I understood it, and so you know I will I will see balloons in random places where they shouldn't be. And those balloons, the color, the shape, et cetera, will have a message, but they will never tell you exactly what the message is. It's more like a warning. Like if you see a, a good example of one is I, I found a second cipher, right? That I've never really talked about just with Alan, but I found a second, second cipher. And after I found that, I found a graduation balloon. Oh, you told me about right. that. Yeah. And it was just blowing around in the street. And it, it, it didn't belong there. And I, of course, called Alan and I'm like, hey, you know, remember I told so you. So you realized it had significance for you. Correct. And but that's the way co uh, coincidences work. work. Yes. Because coincidence, you go, oh, synchronicity. Uh, wait a minute, this has. And then if you follow the coincidence. Correct. Right, uh, then pretty soon. You start figuring out how these coincidences happen. You acknowledge that. But then after a while, you get so you can kind of evoke the coincidence or line them up yourself. To some extent, yes. But the coincidences are, are communications. They're kind of like error correction. It's like, oh, you did find something. That is important. Or, oh, you know, you might find a heart balloon Right, I, I found I once found, you know, a, a a blue blue star balloon, which is one of the more famous balloons that you find in this process. <laughs> I found a blue a star, particularly in the Hellier experience. Yes, so I found a blue star. <laughs> they balloon. They found a blue star balloon uh, in a very uh, numinous context. And as did I, I was driving through Alturas, California, and if you've ever been to Alturas, you know what Alturas is like. It's just miles and tens of miles of trees. It's just a forest. There's nothing. There's no people. There's no farms. There's no nothing. I found a blue star balloon hanging in a tree. And then after that, I had a, a revelation, you know, as to 
you know, what I'm, what I'm doing. And I had just had a revelation right before, uh, I had had a long talk with Alan in Klamath Falls. And then I got in the car and then I'm driving South through Alturas to go the other way. And then I find this blue star balloon, which is, was confirmation of what I talked to Alan about and actually led to the, the creation of my lodge. So, uh, mylar moment. It was a mylar moment. Yes. <laughs> was my lord very good um it, it's interesting that there always are virtually always those mylar balloons too i yeah, mean there are helium balloons of all sorts but that's what always shows up in the context where there's very little doubt once you begin following the synchronicities that if it says happy birthday it's because it's a gift if it says uh Congratulations, it's because you've accomplished something. But there are other types of synchronicities. I never use the term coincidence except as a, an explanatory thing because they are coincidence. But I don't think that uh, uh, coincidence as such ever occurs. I think that uh, synchronicities are always around us. And yeah, I we call it tomatoes. No, no, I think there's a big difference because the notion of coincidence is that things happen without reason that coincide. Uh, you think about somebody and two minutes later, a person you haven't heard from in a year phones you. That's a coincidence. But uh, whether that's a synchronicity or not depends on your point of view. I think it's always the secret chiefs whispering your ear, follow this, follow that. It's not the only thing that they do. I mean, you were mentioning, uh, um, I almost said Derek Aretz, healing the world. Yeah, yeah, healing the world. And and you that, have to listen for uh, that. That will steer you if you start out to uh, pick up uh, debris on beach that isn't necessarily where you will wind up healing the world because maybe you find somebody's I'm just you know making this up as I go along but it's the kind of thing that happens you find someone's business card on the beach and they're working for a nonprofit that helps people in uh, uh, East Asia who are in need of help, you give them a call and you wind up having something to do with uh, saving lives in, uh, let's say, in uh, the remote parts of China. Uh, that would be following the synchronicity. You started out uh, trying to heal the beach and you wind up healing people in China. Uh, the, uh, many people have had very similar experiences to what Olaf is describing there. And uh, since I wrote Secret Cipher, the Euphonauts, they often get in touch with me. Also, I'm, I'm on X, formerly known as Twitter, every day. So I hear from a lot of these people. And, uh, people Do they send you have, balloonograms too? No, they don't. But they do, they do send me uh, pictures that they take with their cameras 
of the balloon that, oh, I just watched Hellier for the first time. And I noticed there was a balloon on my lawn that said, watch. congratulations. If you watch, Dave, yeah. if you go home and you watch Hellier yes. and you are open to it, you will start seeing balloons. Well, what blows my mind is I used to do that for a living for a while. I delivered balloons. Well, there, but you see, again, that's a, that's synchronistic. <laughs> Because you're now, you're, it is. yeah, you, you deliver balloons and now you're here doing a show that you've been wanting to do for 10 years and we're talking about balloons as messages from the Secret Chiefs. Yeah, uh, They're not the only thing. We could have chosen something that was totally unrelated to balloons because right. a great deal happens when you talk about hell. You're, you're basically, in fact, it's a criticism that some people have made of hell. You're, I think, not justified, and it shows that some people don't understand. They start out looking for, uh, what is it, gremlins in goblins. a mine shaft. Goblins. Goblins, yeah. Well, clo close cousins uh, in a mine shaft in Kentucky. And wind up following synchronicities into all sorts of directions. And the thing is, their entire series today is basically a magical ritual that uh, people who watch it become part of the ritual, which is something I don't think any of the the magical organizations that use uh, initiation prospects uh, uh, get that. That kind of result, and and you know, to, I mean, they they literally started look started the show looking for Kentucky goblins, and the next thing you know, they're they're doing they're trying to summon Pan in a cave. I mean, that's that's the distance that you make, you know. And at one point, they're they're communicating with archangels, and they're doing that by following synchronicity. Correct. One leads to the other. Correct. It's like you have to be on the lookout. Well, that's, you, you know, it's... Right. I no, no, it'll be in your face. Well, oh, it'll be you in can your always face. choose to ignore it, but I mean, it's... Eventually, they'll hit you with a sledgehammer. That's the way I try to tell people ah. is that if you're open to it and you're engaged in the process, they'll, they'll communicate with you and they'll try and try and try. And if you're not getting the message, then they'll hit you with a sledgehammer, figuratively. And so uh, following... Black Lodge will try to recruit you. Yes, that's hey, say, you want similar technique. You can cut corners. Oh, you can cut corners at what the Black Lodge offers. Well, that's one of the things they offer. Yeah, yeah. I hear they have cookies too. <laughs> Bad cookies. <laughs> no, but it's 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 true. The the Black Lodge is the counter. So you know their their objective <clears throat> is to hold you back, is to stop you from crossing crossing the abyss. To stop you from even making it to the abyss. So they get they get uh, a power thing going and, and uh, they want to enjoy it all and yeah. don't want other people coming on up. Yeah, they they get they fall in love with the notion of being superior, which doesn't happen with those that go on and take the plunge and follow the path of Gimel the camel. Uh, uh, to the higher Sifero. Uh, and uh, uh, just to use that particular analogy, there's there are a lot of others. Right. No, um, uh, there's 99 names of God, and the only one that knows the hundredth is the camel, the camel. 
Exactly yeah, right. Actually, there's 72 names, <laughs> well, so they yeah, say. Okay. However, however, the numbers are unimportant. I mean, some of the names for the Black Lodge are like the Nine Unknown. But some of the names for the... Uh, there aren't nine. Unfortunately, there are a lot more than that. And they're uh, unknown in one sense, but in another sense, we're talking about them right now. Although... Prior to our book, uh, actually, uh, there was a long interim where nobody was talking about the Black Lodge from circa 1920 to to publication of the book last month. Well, now, why do you why do you we've never talked about that? But why do you think that is? Because I mean, when you were mem- a member of an initiation initiative. Uh, magical organization you brought it up and they shut you down and they're like we don't talk about that i mean why do you think that is mm, you really want to go there okay, <laughs> that's a whole not. subject in and of itself okay just as the black lodge at a very very high yeah, level it's a very very high level uh, like being at that high level and becomes jealous of anybody else that's on the path uh, and probably in a certain sense are jealous of uh, those who have attained, those who are uh, in the, uh, uh, the the secret chiefs, ascended masters, call them what you want. The Lamed Vavniks is the Kabbalistic term for them. The 35 Lamed Vav is, uh, well, uh, with a little tortured logic, is 35 in, in Hebrew. And for the sake of the 35 righteous tzedeks, uh, uh the world is preserved. Otherwise, if it drops to 34, I guess somebody drops the nuke or, you know, whatever, the world comes to an end. Now, that's, I wouldn't take that too literally, but there again, the number is unimportant. The idea is that there are uh, these people that keep everything in gear, the Zadoks that keep everything in the, gear. Yeah, the Zadoki, and that's that's exactly what they are. But you know, it depends on your cultural uh, background what you choose to call them. I mean, what Theosophists will say is quite different from what. Uh, uh, ceremonial magicians will say, and never the twain has met, although, in fact, you will find that uh, they're talking about the same thing in different terms. And there you go. I mean, you know, I, I don't think that the Zadokim are substantially different. They're going to be heretic people throwing rocks at me for this one, but uh, are uh, substantially different from the the masters as described in uh in theosophy uh, although maybe somewhat uncomprehendedly the part of the theosophists but uh, uh according to one's cultural uh, uh background i think they present themselves in a way that's palatable to the individual and since uh, uh, the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light history lesson from Alan uh, and the 
what became the Theosophical Society had a rather violent split uh, in Egypt in the uh, middle of the 19th century. And the Theosophical people went on to India and became involved in Indian nationalism and uh, ultimately in the, uh, as Krishnamurti would call it, the heresy of Krishnamurti as the world teacher, which he uh, soundly repudiated. But there's still people that, you know, uh, down in Ojai, is that how they pronounce it? Ojai. I used to think it was pronounced, I, I used to think it was OJ, and I didn't quite understand the connection. But, but yeah, Ojai, uh, which is where he lived in his uh, latter years and, uh, and was a teacher, not a world teacher. So uh, he was the last physical human being that I know, personally know of, who uh, would have qualified had he chosen to, to be uh, a secret chief. But uh, uh, if there are others, they're well concealed. Anyway, to answer your question, the organization that I belong to and all of the others that claim, you know, to be the golden fraud or, you know, whatever they're claiming, uh, because I'm not sure any of these except the Hermetic uh, uh, Brotherhood of Light, uh, Sisterhood of Light, uh, Hermetic Light, or Celestial Lodge of Sirius, uh, yes. since there are a number. A number of different uh, trends there, all of which emanate from that. And in other cases, I think you have, you know, claimants, but no linear descendants. It's just, uh, uh, they may believe it, but they're very hierarchical. And because they're hierarchical, the hierarchy tends to do just what at a much higher level the Black Lodge does, which is to say they become jealous of position. And the only people that they admit beyond their level are people who are in total agreement with them. And, of course, talking about the Black Lodge might put in some people's head the notion, hey, you're acting like a Black Lodge, ergo, perhaps you are, in some manner of speaking, affiliated with the Black Lodge. And, indeed, I think that may be the case, although I'm not going to name specific organizations, especially the litigious ones. Yes, the litigious ones. So what, yes. What, now, That's the name of their organization. The litigious ones. The litigious ones. Oh, okay, Dave. You have, a, you have a burning look on your face. I have a question. Well, yeah, no, I just uh, thinking, well, what about like the OTO? Now, now, is that an organization? I had a girlfriend. She was re big on the COG. She was a COG sister, the Covenant of the Goddess. Uh, uh, well, <clears throat> if you want to talk about covens, they are, uh, they are not centralized. That is to say, they have their own local hierarchy issues because uh, the structure, which I think, goes back to Gerald Gardner and uh, his early high priestesses, as they were, just the name, high priest and high priestess, you know, that means everybody else is lower. 
However, they're locally organized. And when someone reaches the point that they would become a, let's say, a high priestess, uh, in classical Gardnerian Wicca, uh, they would have to hive off at that point and start their own coven. This is not an ancient tradition. I have challenged this for a long, long time. Uh, there, uh, well, some of them have backed off of this, but supposedly their ancient holy book is the Book of Shadows. And uh, I've, I was going to say seen the original, let's put it this way. I've held the original in my hand, and it's written in the three different handwritings that Gerald Gardner was famous for. So... Uh, uh, if someone can come up with a book of shadows that predates, let's say, 1930, I'll be the first to apologize. But I've been saying that for decades, and uh, no one has come up with a, uh, a book of shadows that goes back that far. Well, this was in the Bay Area, and the, uh, I don't know, the Girl Scout leader, or whatever you want to call it, Starhawk. And they, they believed like in the circle of life and stuff. But I will tell you, when I went to those meetings, they would generate a cone of power and send it out. And it was like old time Southern gospel. You're floating on the hallelujah circuit there. I mean, you could actually feel that stuff go through you. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. Now, well, we used to attend the OTO meetings, too, and they were very ritualistic. I mean, they memorized those lines, and uh, stuff wasn't as spontaneous like in the spirit. Uh, I guess I... No, that's one of the problems. Um, uh, during my sojourn of 20 years amongst uh, that organization, I, uh, I fought the notion of memorization because you can memorize something by rote and no longer be even hearing yourself talk, you know. O lion, no serpent that destroys the destroyer, be mighty among us. I can say that off the top of my head because I must have heard it a thousand times and said it a thousand times. But the truth is, after you say it the fifth time, the tenth time, somewhere in there, you tune it out. There are reasons why in uh, high church circles, even the Pope reads from the book in front of him. That's partly theater, uh, but it's also partly because if you're not looking at the text and contemplating its meaning, it's empty ritual. Uh, it's not active. It's passive. And uh, they have uh, slowly uh, gone to basically being a set of dogmatic beliefs uh, and, uh, and following word-for-word uh, -word texts. Actually, a lot of the memorization uh, is flawed, and some of the rituals have been tampered with. No, and that, I can, I can say, because that, if necessary, I have proof in writing. Now, I used to have, I don't know what it was, it was like the blue book, and it, it was Aleister Crowley, but what I liked about it was he had the correspondences all laid out, like, 
and uh, it was an easy reference, <laughs> you know. Uh, oh yeah, I use. You're talking about seven seven seven. Is that what it was? Uh, you may yeah. be you may be conflating it with uh, the Blue Equinox, which was. No, it's just the uh, the book. The color of the book was yeah, it's blue. blue. <laughs> it's a blue equinox. Well, the blue equinox is called the blue equinox because the the original edition oh, okay. was blue. <laughs> but <laughs> makes uh, it easy. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't like the blues. It wasn't Miles Davis. That was that uh-huh. was not Crowley's uh, cup of tea. Nor was he my cup of tea. But uh, but he did have a good. The, table of correspondences that I yeah well you know that I use it too I mean it's a good table as far as it goes Uh, I have found that uh, working with uh, uh, it's a whole different subject and for another program I'm sure but working with the the hot points uh, that uh, uh, come out of uh, Gnostic Boudong as interpreted by Michael Bertio, who had a major influence on me, um, and I think is the greatest living Magus in the world at this point. Um, in, in going through the hot points as they apply to uh, empowerments, uh, you can find Perhaps, I think, 360 points corresponding to the uh, acupuncture points on the human body that, uh, 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 although only 90-some-odd of them are known, uh, it is possible that 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 has survived in astrology and acupuncture and other diverse areas from great antiquity on, probably from Sumer maybe even from uh, from early Indian sources like Mahanjodaro or the latest fad discoveries in Turkey of very, very sophisticated uh, uh, indications of civilizations going back 10,000 years. I know that sounds like Atlantis and that sort of thing, but it's not. This is orthodox uh, archaeology. And only in the last 20 years is, well, it's still being uh, excavated all in the Anatolian uh, area. Right. No, uh, 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 the antiquity of man goes way back. We had the same controversy here. They found what they called out-of-place artifacts. And it says it dates too long ago for that to be. And uh, they're pushing the dates back. Uh, they, I, I buy into that. I, the uh, um, mankind and savvy man, it just goes way back, further than what people uh, hear. There's a controversy here in Tuolumne County. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, because they found artifacts of early man that predate anything that should be. But they keep pushing it back. By a stretch. Um, over and over, yeah, because they just found people in San Diego, and that's a uh, uh, what was it? It was a quarter of a million years ago, and at one time they were just saying man was here at six thousand years ago. So well, I totally that, that buy hasn't in. been for a while. Huh? 
Sit no, I know, but that's what I grew up with. I'm teaching sure. me, you know. Yeah. So when there, so what if some people were living around here had little villages a million and a half years you ago? See that? I, can, I can buy into it's that. It's that reason that I have always maintained that ceremonial magic, magic in general, occultism, is a lost science. That to me, when I see magical systems and they say, okay, do this, spin this way, say this thing, do this thing. To me, it seems like a process that was scientific in nature that was lost to time thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years ago. It's that kind of dystopian thing of, okay, I've got a car. I don't know what it is, but I know it rolls around if I turn this thing. So the gods must empower my car to move because it doesn't move by itself. So I'm going to say the litany of ignition and I'm going to turn the key. I, to me, occultism, magic, all that stuff has always, it, that's where it is rooted for me. It is a form of lost science. Well, actually. Yeah, and it may, it may not even be of earthly origin. I right. mean, that may be uh, the notion of uh, techno magic or uh, uh, that what. Uh, it's often quoted, maybe a little too often, but Arthur Clarke's uh, sage observation, a truly advanced technology would be indistinguishable from magic. I think that's true. And uh, it may be, uh, you know, when you think advanced technology, I think people think of uh, New York and big buildings. Uh <laughs> Uh, pardon me if I think that that's not the biggest indicator of advanced civilizations. It's very possible that a truly advanced civilization would be so embedded in nature as to be part of nature rather than uh, like these uh, big phallic symbols. Yeah, uh, even uh, Walt Whitman says that. And Walt Whitman's pump, what is the uh, greatest uh, city or country? It's not, uh, he's, it's not the buildings or the advances in science. It's the, uh, where it has the best quality of people. Yeah, well, Walt Whitman was, or more properly is, uh, probably one of the secret chiefs. He was certainly close to that in his lifetime. So... Uh, Anyone who could write the same book over and over to get it right over a period of, what, 50 years uh, and impress so many people uh, is bound to have something important to say. Did you know I used to take leaves of grass up into the hills and read it aloud? And this is true story. All the little nature animals, the deer and everything would come. But that's magic. <laughs> that's how magic works. That's it. You nailed it. See? All right. Well, we're going we're gonna to take a little break because we're at the bottom top sort of at the hour. <clears throat> so we're going to take a break for about 10 or 15 minutes. And, and I want to thank you. You know, when I oh, came to the table here, I said, well, you know, uh, I think all this talk, man, you guys are going to, like, leave me behind. No. And really what you're doing is you're talking my talk. I mean, a lot of this stuff, I kind of feel the same way. So thank you. All right. Well, there you go. You see, that's exactly 
not that we're secret chiefs, but that's exactly non-hierarchical. Like everything I do, I mean, I'm obviously if you buy my books, uh, courtesy of Oldiv, I get you know appropriate royalties. But apart from that, everything that I do, I mean, that's my livelihood. But apart from that, everything that I do, I don't charge for. And because of that, I'm very suspicious of all of these organizations that teach enlightenment for a price. I don't think they're very enlightened. And I think that's, that's a ripoff. Uh, enlightenment such as it is, is free. That's right. It should be available to everyone. That's right. Absolutely. And I, to the best of my ability, I try to do that. I mean, there are people who I have worked with that I regret, but mostly uh, the people that I have worked with, you know, have at some point departed from my sphere of influence, so to speak. And that's by design. They're, Uh, uh, we use the term free illuminism, which is that each one of us is our own powerhouse and has our own way of taking things, but we should be mutually supportive. And if some gift comes our way, we should pass it along to others. That's right. We need to elevate all of us together. And then what you're talking about right now kind of like sound like the Mars science thing, which I, uh, uh, it's kind of like a jail, the jailhouse religion, the Mars science stuff with the noble Drew Ali, where we are our own, um, uh, we create our own kingdom, but we, uh, uh, we look through a glass darkly at first, and then we see more clearly as we go on. And it's a develop uh, the way of self-development. Okay, it's great. Okay, all I'm saying is okay. break time, man. It's break time, so we'll be back in about 10 I minutes. I want to keep talking. You're listening to the Enigma Hours uh, with Captain Tiki, me, Ola Phillips, and Captain Dave on KDLP 103.5 FM Sonora. Uh, we'll be right back.
back we're back listening to the enigma hours with captain tiki and captain dave uh tonight we got alan greenfield dr alan greenfield dr alan greenfield on the line we're talking about uh, the mysterious occult dave is back welcome back dave Glad to be here. <laughs> I think this is where I need to be tonight. Is that what the synchronicities are telling you? Yes, it is. <laughs> no, you made me more aware of that. It always happens in your life, but it has to be meaningful to you enough to follow it. That's true. So, Alan, I have a, yes. que- I have a question for you. That's Captain Alan. If you're captain, I want to be a captain too. <laughs> Okay, you can be a captain too. You're an honorary captain. It's all chiefs no, and no Indians. Free. <laughs> okay. Okay, so you know we're, we're here. We are, and I don't think I've ever, I've ever actually asked you this. So, in your vast knowledge, when one goes ghost hunting, or one does magic, or one does witchcraft, it's always done late at night. And the theory goes is that certain certain hours retain certain types of power, right? But once you cross yeah. the midnight hour, is supposed to be when the veil is the thinnest. Correct. Correct. Yes. So why uh, why is are, that? Well, I think because there are certain times of the year, certain times of the day in which uh, uh, the uh, electromagnetic field of the earth is more favorable for magical workings than at other times. Um, uh, We have Halloween coming up. That is a major crack between the worlds, between the world of the living and the world of the dead. And... uh, there is in virtually every culture some kind of equivalent of Halloween, uh, uh, be it a uh, an autumnal festival, or <clears throat> you can call it, you know, various things and can ascribe various qualities to it. Uh, sunrise and sunset uh, in the uh, Carlos Castaneda system was called the crack between the worlds. Because at the moment that the sun is rising or setting, uh, there is a point in that, you know, in that particular location where you're no longer simply in the reality that you're in. You're in uh, uh, a portal, a doorway between realities. And uh, 
in the medieval grimoires uh, in some of them anyway. There are specific hours of the night in which uh, to work particular magical rituals. Some of that has an astrological, maybe even a sidereal astronomical basis. Um, but it just seems like uh, at least through a certain point in history, and I'll get back to that in a moment, midnight, the stroke of midnight seemed to be uh, the time when uh, in the gothic sense of witches, the witches come out, the ghosts come out. That had something to do with the pre-electrical world because basically human beings uh, uh, tended to be uh, to active from sunup to sundown. After sundown, there being no electric power, no electric lights, whatever, what little, <clears throat> what little light people were able to uh, produce certainly wasn't sufficient to uh, uh, encourage uh, elaborate activities. So, roughly speaking, between, uh, again, this uh, adjusts for time of year, but between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m., there is uh, no activity except those that have a mystical connotation and what is halfway between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m.? Sure. Midnight. Midnight. Which is, of course, given that the um, ancient Sumerians, and we're more familiar with the uh, system of the Babylonians, rather than using a uh, base 10 system as we do, used a base 60 system. And numbers like uh, 12, 24, you know. Uh, That's where we uh, get our clock so, promise from them. Because it's exact sixes, yeah. Yeah, six and twelve. Uh, uh, six and twelve are considered very important because twelve is in the midpoint of the night, and six is the dawn and the dusk. So, so uh, practicing those make sense. Practicing magic, uh, no matter what your persuasion is, is uh, you have to be aware of set and setting. Uh, uh, Absolutely. Now, you can, of course, ignore that and simply, uh, by force of will, compel certain things to happen. But the easiest route Let's say you're doing a magical conjuration, which if you don't know what that is, I don't recommend you try it. It's just cold. But uh, uh, there are certain times for certain types of conjuration. And if you do it at other times, it's likely to have less of an effect. Um, I noticed that when uh, Dr. the late Dr. Persinger was working on his... Uh, well, his theory was, uh, uh, he was, I gather, uh, sort of an adventurous materialist, which I think is fundamentally an error. But uh, he maintained that uh, uh, 
mystical events had a lot to do with the Earth's uh, geomagnetic uh, sphere. Also, uh, of necessity, solar storms uh, created uh, certain things in that sphere. The, uh, the biblical phrase was, uh, uh, your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall have visions. And that's referring to a specific state. And you have uh, uh, this story from the book of Acts, not my book, but the book of Acts talks about the, uh, uh, the miracles on Pentecost where essentially all of the uh, disciples have, uh, I don't know, had too much uh, mandrake root or whatever, but they're speaking tongues and so forth. Um, timing has a lot to do with it. There is the possibility for advanced magicians to uh, create an atmosphere at any time, at any place. Right, a, great said, a great magician, they say, uh, a, a matchstick is just as good as a wand. Oh, even, even more than that. Uh, uh, there was a famous quote that I've never been able to run down, so it may be apocryphal, but it's a good, good quote from Aleister Crowley, which was, the proper magical ritual for opening a door is turning the knob and pulling. That's it. <laughs> it's a good place to start. Practical magic. Yeah, well, yeah. Yes, that's practical magic, because... If you use some other kind of, you know, uh, levitation or uh, uh, precognition, knowing when it'll open, or uh, psychokinesis, where you open it with sheer power of the mind, 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 mind. He's holding his uh, head. You're, 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 in a sense, performing black magic because it's not necessary when you can just turn the handle and open the door. Magic should be what is required to do the particular act of will that you're attempting to do at any given time. And whether it's uh, neutral or whether it's dark depends on whether you uh, care enough to do the minimum necessary uh, to get the job accomplish done. what you set out. Yeah, exactly. Get the job done. I I I'm on that page. Well, yeah. You know, I, I've always believed that that's the way the universe works. Right? Is that it puts everybody on a path. And that path is is the optimal path. And it's like driving. If you kind of veer to the left or veer to the right, you get into the kind of sides of the road where all the garbage is. And so it gets bumpy and chaotic. But the universe will always try to push you back toward the center because it wants you to be optimal. And, and timing. Uh, there's mm -hmm. a saying, rhythm runs the whole swinging gate. I mean, uh, and if you can uh, get the timing right in any, in, in any endeavor right. uh, that you do. And actually, it's interesting because, you know, through my research on the Sonora Aero Club, I've discovered, so Alan, you may not be aware of this, but Tuolumne County, where, where we are, 
it's it's like a fortune wonderland. Like we have everything. We have ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, everything. Right. We have sunken Gas civilizations. Packs. It's what? Gas packs. Gas packs. Yeah. But <laughs> swamp gas. But it, you know, we we have we No, have, I was speaking of the balloons. Oh, right. That, uh, yeah. But it, it's it's like a a fortune wonderland here. You know, it's you know, I always say that I keep telling Dave, you know, uh Keel wrote Disneyland of the Gods. It's like this place is Disneyland for fortunes. I mean, we have cattle mutilations, abductions, disappearances, mysterious civilizations, like we've got all of it. But when I was doing some research on the Sonora Aero Club, one of the things that I realized is looking at the USGS maps is that we have a high degree of, of magnetic and gravitational anomalies in this area. In Sonora itself, Sonora, around Sonora, is the only place in this entire county that isn't completely covered by high-level gravitational and uh, magnetic anomalies. Well, I will tell you uh, the whole concept of the mother load. That right. is a seam, a suture, where two plates overlapped and it and has become a um, stretches across the county, a, a vein of gold-bearing quartz. And this uh, quartz could be three miles wide and 49 feet deep. And it runs, stretches right down the middle of our county. And what's interesting about that is is a 3 and a 13, if you want to take the numerology. And the 49, consider yes. the year, 1849. Right. That's the California gold rush. Yeah. But the I, hint may have been in the year. But I, you know, I, I've, I maintain that it, it, this place is the, the 14 in Disneyland because of that quartz vein and because of the minerals. And we've actually made a lot of progress on, on some mysteries of the Sonora Aero Club having to do with the minerals that exist here. And so when you talk oh, about well, the timing, yeah. and, timing yeah. and, and the place and knowing the context, I mean, that's why this place is powerful. And, you know, people... Here's the key. Okay. The, the question is, what, what's chicken and what's eggs? You see, I think that uh, Dr. Persinger, although uh, his research is not to be denied, uh, at least not by me, um, in uh, creating the so-called God Helmet and a number of other projects, he thought that electromagnetic waves interacting with brain waves produced uh, produced caused uh, what are perceived as miraculous or supernatural events I think it's more or less the reverse of that that is to say that when you have various uh, electromagnetic and perhaps cosmic uh, events that impact on the human organism, you see a lot more true than we do under ordinary circumstances in ordinary times. So it's not that the miraculous is an illusion. It's that, in a sense, 
what we have in our everyday life is the illusion. (laughs) And what happens when you have a, yeah, you, you know, quartz is the optimal thing for making a crystal ball. Well, why would you make a crystal ball? Well, you make a crystal ball because sometimes if you have a certain talent for it or the patience to work with it, you can see visions. Why would that be? Well, uh, uh, my father told me that his uh, younger brother, Eugene, who went on to uh, blow things up in the uh, Manhattan Project, well, a couple of things anyway, uh, uh, when he was a kid, made a crystal radio. Well, sure, I was just going to say that. When I was a kid, we got the uh, Quaker Oaks thing, wrapped uh, the wire on it and got our crystal and ran it up and down there and uh, until we got in the radio station. So, yeah, the... Uh, yeah, well, th- go ahead. but this was in, like, 1917, you know. So it was a little bit less uh, known at that point. Although, I can tell you this, back when we were kids, uh, Gene Steinberg, who has his own podcast these days, um, told me that he had... Uh, put together a little crystal radio. And I said, really? Well, what, what do you need that for? They're much more advanced. He said, I said, what do you use for an antenna? He said, oh, I just hook a wire up to the springs in my bed and you get reception across the country. And I thought, well, that's an interesting approach to antennas. Uh, I'll have to apply that to uh, <laughs> my then burgeoning CB radio stuff. But um, uh uh, the point here is that crystals have an amazing property, and quartz crystals are perhaps uh, the best known because of the frequencies that you can attune to uh, using quartz crystals. So if you have a vein of gold intertwined with quartz, that uh, 10 to 1, if you... Uh, find a map of ley lines in that area, in that particular county, it follows right along there. Also, you know any dowsers? I do, including me. (laughs) Because, okay, well, if you douse it, you can go right along that line because it has that strength. Right. Uh, Hopefully you won't be digging the gold and ruining (laughs) the ecology there. But, uh, no, they already did that. Don't tell people. <laughs> Shh, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Don't tell them. <laughs> we actually have a mine Strike here. Strike it rich. We actually have a mine here that apparently is is massively profitable, but you can't dig it because it's a it's a uh, toxic wasteland. Oh yeah, over the uh, the, the Harvard, Harvard mine, Harvard mine. which uh, became uh, Harvard because Josiah our uh, Whitney the. Uh, we're Mount Whitney. He's our first first state geologist. Owned the mine, right. and he was a fellow at Harvard. Uh, but that thing had been mined. It was the largest producing gold mine in uh, in history. Yeah, what'd you say? It was a twenty six pound nugget they pulled out of there. Oh, I don't know. Did you see that one? That's the fan gold. Oh, the fan gold one's amazing. Uh, uh, but but it's like you know you can. There are places in Mariposa where you can walk along. And find you know amethyst on the ground. Yeah, we used to go crystal hunting on my dad's property. Oh yeah, find some nice ones too. But that that is why this place is a fourteen wonderland. 
and and it's isolation and uh yeah but what struck me interesting and alan i'd like to hear your opinion of this when you look at tuolumne county sonora itself is green meaning low concentration of of these various anomalies the entire rest of the county is white only sonora the only city in the entire county is in the green zone. Everything else is basically white. Okay, now explain that to me again. What's the green zone? The green zone is a low occurrence of magnetic and gravitational anomalies. Oh. Uh, and yeah, that is that is uh, again. I think those are effects, not cause. But okay. uh, I think that you're onto something there. And since I don't won't even remember the name of the county. <laughs> Send me a map. I'd like to take a look and superimpose it over over uh, the chart of ley lines, which is you know it's on the internet. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting place, and that's one of the reasons why I, I asked about the timing, because I mean it's apocryphal, right? You always hear everywhere you read midnight to three a.m. is typically seen as the the high point of any kind of magical workings that you want to do, any ritual, any any you know, uh, Wiccan rituals, you know, witchcraft. You want to do it between midnight and 3 a.m. But in this place, it's all the time. Well, I think the the midnight thing is what I was saying there, that up through, well, through most of history, that was, well, the phrase, the midnight hour, tells you, how it was thought of for thousands of years. Well, in the eleventh, and the fact that we're 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 pontificating way into the night is because we have electricity uh, for the for the time being. Anyway, well, they also so, say, they also say that the eleventh hour it's like a threat. You yeah, hour the eleventh hour. Yeah, yeah. The bulletin of atomic scientists is three minutes to midnight. Right, and and. Which is and that brings up a point too that not only is it, it's also uh, what we bring to it. But, right. Uh, it's just uh, it's an interaction between the two. I mean, just like you were saying, now it's electric lights. The midnight hour doesn't have that same impact on us as it did in previous cultures that didn't have uh, the electricity. So it wasn't only. Uh, the actual midnight hour, which was probably have power as well, but it's also what we brought to it is what it evoked in us. Uh, well, I will, t- I will tell you when, for those of you who do not live in this area, at midnight, when you stand out in your backyard, if you don't have a lot of houses around you, which most people don't here, it is black. It is so dark. It is like super dark. So here it, it very much evokes that sense of what you're talking about with the lack of electrical lighting and the darkness here, it is incredibly dark. Oh, I, uh, I haven't, since I'm a city boy, I haven't lived in a situation where you can actually see the Milky Way. and uh, Well, you can't count them, but thousands of stars for a very long time. When I was a kid, and this was still a relatively small town uh, relative to what it is now. 
you could see the Milky Way. You could see a lot of stars. Now the glare of the city is, uh, you know, all night long. And uh, it's just wherever you are. I mean, even if you're a little bit out in the burbs, even in the ex exurbs, uh, it, uh, there's too much glare. Lots of junk in space, lots of pollution, and the net effect is that you really don't see the sky as uh, as you're describing. The last time I saw a sky like that, I thought I would see that from mid-Atlantic on a ship when I was a kid. But no, I guess maybe the water vapor has some effect on the on the sky but uh it was no brighter than it would be somewhere out in the country uh, in the eastern part of the united states but when i got to the middle east and this would probably not be true now because those areas are a lot more developed than they were when i was 60 <clears throat> back when the dinosaurs you know the whole thing right. uh it was spectacular, probably better than you're seeing out there because you still have to factor in, uh, what are they called, Starlink uh, and uh, oh, sure. uh, 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 glare that is ambient. Uh, if, you, if you see the uh, pictures that they constantly have from the space station of the... Uh, dark earth that is you know wherever it's dark the uh, the entire united states looks like a uh it looks lit up <laughs> it, does, it does and yeah and uh, you get some of that ambient light but there was nothing uh in in those days and the sky was you could fall into it you know if you looked up and you were in darkness. All you could see. Well, so the lineup of the stars or the times or whatever affects our powers or vibrations that uh, times of day or alignments of times of year and stuff would have an impact on you no matter if you were aware, on it, aware of it or not. But in the terms of ritual, if... Uh, uh, you chose those times and stuff because what, like, you know, in Peru, they're looking up at the, uh, the stars, and it's so clear from them that they, their constellations aren't the stars themselves. It's those dark holes between the stars. That's how clearly they could see the sky. So the sky wouldn't have as much of impact on us in terms of ritual as uh, other than, because a lineup of the stars is going to have an effect on you no matter what, if you believe in that, right? But Oh, uh, yeah. I, uh, but it's also, for the sake of ritual, having those correspondences all lined up that have meaning to you. And back in the old days, it had more of an impact because... It was the visual representation right there in your face. We'd have to recreate that in other ways. 
in the terms which of which probably accounts accounts for the Nazca lines, which are way down in uh, the Peruvian uh, desert. Oh yeah, that's on the flatlands. Right. So even now, I suspect, uh, although it's the constellations like the Southern Cross that you don't see in the Northern Hemisphere regardless, uh, it probably was kind of tracing the constellations that they were seeing um, because it never rains in Nazca. I mean, the reason that the Nazca lines didn't disappear a thousand years ago is because it never rains there. Never. So you're looking at a, a desert that has as clear a sky as anywhere on the face of the earth, looking up at it at any hour of the night uh, is going to be quite impressive. You know, I heard that uh, those people were able to make balloons. Right, that's so they how they made it. See, uh, see uh, how they were making those. Yeah, yeah there's a woman. No. Go ahead. Uh, I don't believe that that's true. I, I'm acquainted with the theory, but the fact is, as I was told by my friend Jim Mosley, um, you could see the lines. It, you you get the pitch from uh, the chariot of the gods, people. You could see the lines only from the air. That isn't the case. If you look at the pictures, you will see the mountains in the background. And you can see the lines very clearly and the, uh, the shapes that are being drawn uh, from those mountains. So it may be that they were directing the people uh, in the sand, uh, you know, how to make the figures that are there. Uh, that's not a complete explanation, but... Uh, uh, there's really no trace that I know of of hot air balloons. So, uh, and that would be quite, quite a feat if the NASCA did that. Probably they would have never uh, declined as a civilization because it was only in the 1700s that uh, in France that the Montgolfier brothers uh, came up with uh, hot air balloons, which became a fad uh, prior to the well, uh, French Revolution. Well, apparently here in the in the eighteen hundreds, we had quite the quite the balloon rush. <laughs> the balloon rush. Yes. The uh, but still, that oh yeah, totally I, reasonable by the eighteen fifties. Oh sure. Uh, no, I mean yeah, they, they had balloon corps in the Civil War. Yeah. yeah, they were using balloons in the Civil War, and they had a lot of successful flights even before uh, oh, the Shaw yeah. uh, uh, came up with. Well, uh, I, I mean the. Uh, the uh, French Revolution was at the end of the 18th century, and it was before that that the uh, big French balloon fad with people doing a lot of ballooning. And undoubtedly, they had their share of accidents. I mean, they were hot air balloons, and they were made of flammable materials. So right. It so, wasn't the, right, it wasn't so. the Hindenburg, so. but it was still... A, a difficult situation to be in if your balloon caught fire and you were, you know, yeah, that's a up bad in the clouds. Scene. That's a bad scene. Yeah. Especially and since it was another uh, 200 years before the parachute was invented. So. Uh, rubberized silk. So they'd use 
rubber cement like so it yeah, they had alcohol it or yeah. something in it so it was highly flammable anyway well most balloons up until yeah. recently were extremely flammable <laughs> they were filled with hydrogen <laughs> well they could have used helium from way back but uh the story with the, the zeppelins for better or worse i think for better is the only source of helium at that time was in the, I think, Amarillo, Texas, there's a helium mine. And because uh, the Nazis had come to power in Germany, we would not sell uh, helium to the Germans. So uh, the Zeppelins, which uh, my father told me when he was a young man, he thought that Zeppelins were going to be the world travel Think well after the Hindenburg, they, they sort of went into decline. <laughs> Don't right know why people were reluctant to travel on them anymore. But uh, oh, the that was a high vision. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that was. I, and the interesting thing there is how Orson Welles used that in his for the world's broadcast. Yeah. Oh, the humanity! <laughs> we'll be back in fire. <laughs> you know that uh, airships are making a comeback, though. You know, uh, when they're doing airships, they're trying to do this great air race where they're getting these different companies to compete on a, a round the world tour. And uh, oh, even the hot air balloons are far more advanced and less dangerous than they were. I mean, they have these uh, variable uh, heat sources and the. Materials for the balloons are pretty safe. You, you know, know when they're not flammable. So when my dad, I've been up in one. It's really interesting. When my dad was in the Air Force, he went to the Air War College, and when he was in the Air War College, he had to do like a research project, and his was actually using dirigibles for cargo carrying because military airlift command at that time was very huge. Still is, I guess, but. Uh, I think well, they, they don't need a airfield, a landing field. No, but so they he can land anywhere. Yeah, he wrote a whole paper on how how you could use dirigibles for cargo transport and for you know times of disaster and stuff. Although yeah. you're only going 80 miles an hour, but I guess that's, that's okay. fast enough. You could probably go faster if you wanted. Well, we went from the Black Lodge to the dirigibles. <laughs> but that's talking Alan. <laughs> that's well, what happens. There you go. That's what happens when you get him on the show. Look. One of my bucket list items that just won't happen is every 10 years or so, I write to the Goodyear company and I say, I always give my age and I say, look, I'm not getting any younger. And you used to take people up in the, uh, the Goodyear blimp and now you can find it only to executives of your company. Could you please let me fly once in the Mayflower? Please, please. I ask you kindly. They don't even answer my letters, so I probably will never get to do that one. But I, uh, I've actually, I found it when it was moored on this obscure field about four miles from where I sit right now. And it was on the far side of the runway, and I saw it uh, moored there, and I could see that the pilot was, I don't know, fiddling around with it or checking his bearings. It was in town probably because, I don't know, the World Series was here or something. 
And uh, this is, you know, before drones sort of made blimps not necessary for, for those aerial shots. But uh, I did a stupid thing. <laughs> it was misty and it was late at night. And I ran across the runway of this private airfield, which, you know, I would have Cessnas and, you know, uh, Learjets and that sort of thing. Uh, Peachtree DeCab Airport is the name of that particular location. And I went up to the pilot and I said, uh, could I look around in the cabin? And he said, why, no. <laughs> so... I walked back across the runway. I mean, you know, that was a dangerous thing to do. Uh, but, but you were uh, hooked. I you were hooked was, from that early Oh, day. I've been hooked all my life on the Goodyear blimp. I mean, that was that was my Zeppelin, you know, because when I was a little kid, they would bring it even to my hometown when the, uh, when the Barnum and Bailey Circus was in town back in the days when it was still a tent circus. And... Uh, uh, the uh, the Mayflower, the one that they flew in the eastern part of the United States. That I think there was another one in California that they uh, flew. But up close, it was it wasn't dirigible, but it was uh, huge. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> it was it impressive. Uh, there is some yeah. place, and I don't know where it is, that they do, they use it like a ferry service or some kind of taxi service. And you can, you really? can take a uh, blimp, because uh, they interviewed the, uh, says, well, there's not too many of you. And, and she even knew how many of airship pilots there were, because yeah, that's there, how few there, there were. And there was a regular line that people could take. You'd get a ticket. I forget where that is. I'll find out where that is and send yeah. it to you, Alan. Yeah, let, let me know. But the fact is that I have periodically gone through a variety of places and uh, there have been, you know, uh, blimps for hire, so to speak. But I don't know of any current service that uh, that does that just for the hell of it. And I would dearly love to do that. It's not the Mayflower, but it'll do. <laughs> it'll do. Yeah. It'll do. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll buy us both a ticket. Well, wait a minute. Depends on how much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could be a little expensive. They're probably not cheap. I would imagine somewhere in the $100 range. But, you know, that's something I would cough up from somewhere or other. You know, yeah, uh, roll a drunk, there. something, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so we're coming to the end of the show. So... No way. Yeah, we have eight minutes left. Wow. Alan, I really enjoyed talking <laughs> to you. You're just like an expert Same. on every subject there is. And uh, you s presented it in a way that I get it. So, thank you. Just don't ask me about football. I'm clueless. No, so I, Alan, I wouldn't anyway. <laughs> so, Alan, tell me about the uh, the Falcons. <laughs> oh. Uh, it's just it's a football team, and I think it used to be owned uh, by uh, Ted Turner. See, I would have told you it was <laughs> a bird. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's well, it. No. Okay, now, 
What is the name of your book so people can go get them, including myself? Uh, Secrets of the Real Black Lodge Revealed. That's to contrast it, although we covered that, to the the David Lynch, uh, Twin Peaks uh, references to the Black Lodge. And that is in the book. We talk about the Black Lodge and Twin Peaks in the book. You know, that's... Uh, here's a synchronicity. The guy that's the coordinator for the historical center research place where I've been spending a lot of time. Yeah. He was telling me about that the other day. Oh, about the Black Lodge in Twin uh, Peaks? In, about Twin Peaks, yeah. Yeah, you got to watch it. All so, right, let him, let him, he's got a lot of books. Uh, Go ahead, Alan. For <laughs> well, the only thing I—I I mean, it sounds like a plug, and I guess it is. No, that's what I'm giving you uh, the opportunity. Plug to give it. You a plug, yes. I co-wrote uh, the book. Plug it. Well, it's <laughs> secrets of the real Black Lodge revealed, and it's available from Amazon. I think it's available from Amazon UK. It is. It's available from Amazon Canada, it Brazil, and Germany. other, and practically every uh, major outlet for fine books wherever they're sold. <laughs> Having said that, and it is a book that you can profitably read as a standalone thing. I think Olaf will agree to that. Yes. The it is designed as the third of a trilogy, which was always. You know, in my mind, although I thought it was going to emphasize something other than the Black Lodge, I thought it was going to be about the secret chiefs. But because we live in what I consider to be a pretty dark time, I think sunlight is the great antiseptic and shining a light on the Black Lodge is perhaps the best thing that we can do at this point. Having said that, though, it would be profitable to a person if um, you preceded reading it by reading uh, Secret Cipher, the Euphonauts, and Secret Rituals, the Men in Black, or if you want to buy them together, such a bargain, you can get it such as a the, bargain. Uh, such a bargain. The, the complete Secret Cipher, the, the Euphonaut, trilogy. which is no longer complete, but uh, I'll talk to Olaf about that. Yeah, at some we'll point. talk about we that. Probably Get out the deluxe edition. But in the meantime, <laughs> if you read those two books first, it will uh, expand the breadth of what you're you're looking at. So consider that. But if you're just going to buy one, buy the uh, book about the Black Lodge. So funny. Because it's a need, need to know. Funny, funny little story about that. So they actually, when I published the book, they actually meddled with it and I had uploaded everything to get it printed and there's actually a QA mechanism and it passed everything. It passed the printing reviews by the people who print it, me, Alan, everybody took a look at it. It was all good. When it actually got made, there was a typo on the cover. I found a copy of one of the, I found one because we only sold a couple of them like that. One of them is on eBay for like 40 bucks. Of course. And it will go up. You know, if they don't sell it for 40, they'll put it up to 400. And sooner or later, somebody will buy it. I recommend a new copy 
with a minimum <laughs> yes. of errors, internal or external. Yes. Uh, I just read a uh, book by uh, a friend of mine in Sweden. Uh, that oh, yes. I can't wait to I read that book. Yeah. It's uh, uh, Fred Anderson yes. wrote a book about uh, UFOs and other phenomena in Sweden. But it's also a book about uh, his philosophical influences. And since I'm one of them, <laughs> I, yeah. I like the book a lot. Of course. Uh, so uh, even includes a poem that I wrote, which is. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's uh, uh, what does he call it? Uh, Northern Lights, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's Northern uh, Lights. Yeah. Anyway, it's by Fred Anderson. Yep. Mr. Anderson. Great, great. And Mr. Anderson. I don't think there's any other book in English that concentrates on the real weird cases uh, in Sweden. No, I don't think a, so. Uh, it's an extremely secular country. It's quite amazing that the elves still come out and play in the they middle do. of the night. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. got a gnome, a house gnome. Hey, so what's so? Where do people find you on X? Uh, well, I know everybody has funny names. Just about everybody, except John Tenney and me, and Greg Newkirk. But almost everybody has funny names. I'm just plain old Alan Greenfield. So if you look me up on X, you'll find my clever comments and. Some not so clever. <laughs> every day, or pretty much every day, uh, several times a day. And most of what I do is just comment with a pretty good sense of humor. At least I hope it is. <laughs> I mean, no you run a risk with that. that people won't take you seriously. You know, it's you funny because humor. humor is about the only thing I have ever been able to take seriously. <laughs> It's a way of getting well, across your message. It's the full stepping out. Wow. I come from the Mel Brooks School of Judaism. There you go. And therefore, if it isn't funny in some sense, uh, it just goes right by me. I think you have to laugh to keep from crying, really. So, hey, that's just me. and It's take it or leave it, but a lot of people take it. And I, I'm about to hit. 4,000 subscribers, so come on aboard. It's free for now. Of course, if the current X ownership, I wish it was X ownership, uh, has their way, they may be charging at some point, in which case I will go to my backup site on Tumblr or Fraudbook. I'm sorry, Facebook. I get that wrong all the time. Fraudbook, Facebook, something like that. That's a joke, people. It's a an in joke at that. All right. Well, we'll we'll definitely have you on again. I mean, there's just so much to talk about. But I should say yeah. that courtesy of Olaf, that the books that I mentioned are all in print. In fact, all but one of my books are currently in print, including a book that I didn't write that's under my name, and it's it's based on some essays that I did. I guess I've never seen it, so. <laughs> It's my book on witchcraft. Yes, he wrote a book. And on there's witchcraft. a story that goes with that, but we don't have the time for it, so you'll no next. No time. doubt, it doesn't have to be Halloween to talk about no, witchcraft. No, no, 
We'll get you back soon. for it. Anytime. Cause it's witchcraft. I was just going to start singing. That. Crazy witchcraft. And although it's strictly taboo. Over uh, here Sinatra's on KDLP. To worry. <laughs> That's right. I got to do my station identification. So it's it's pure witchcraft over here on KDLP 103.5 FM Sonora. Okay, continue. That was just the uh, and bad. For it's it. strictly oh, okay. taboo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, <clears throat> once again, you've been listening to the Enigma Hours. That's right. With Captain Tiki. Exploring one of life's little mysteries. Yes, life's little Well, Alan's one big mystery. All right. Well, uh, we're here every Thursday from 10 p.m. to midnight. Uh, We're on podcast uh, under the Enigma Hour. Uh, You can find us wherever better podcasts are downloaded, including Apple Podcasts, where we are in the top 5% of the entire world, apparently. Out of keep... nine million. Oh uh, my gosh! Yeah, oh nine my million. goodness! Can I have your autograph? Right. Oh. No. People are listening to you. Maybe you'll sell a couple bucks. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Alan, yes, for thank coming you on. So much. La okay. All right. Should I make a Detroit Javier? All right. Peace out. Peace out. All right. Well, that's it for us. Uh, we'll hand you off to some tropical music. Thank oh. you, Olaf. I enjoyed that. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for having, being on the show with me every week, <laughs> late at night. It's fun. All right. Have I a hope good- you had fun, too. I hope it is, was as good for you as it was for me. It was as good for me as it was for you. All right, guys. Uh, everybody have a good night. <laughs>